Hey there, fellow parent entrepreneurs. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join us here on The Kenza Pod. My name is Tiffany Jones. I'm the co-founder and CEO of The Kenza Collective, where we empower and educate parents who are making the transition from working for the man to working for themselves. Our goal is to help you create a life where you have autonomy, freedom, and the power to dictate how you spend your days, all based on your family's unique needs. So if you're ready to hand in your notice and experience the freedom that comes from working for yourself, or if you've already done it and are in the trenches trying to manage all the pieces, you're in the right place. Be sure to check out kenzacollective.com for all kinds of resources specifically geared toward the busy working parent. And thanks again for being here. Now let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the Kenza Pod. This is Tiffany Jones, Kenza CEO and co-founder. We are missing my other half, Beth Gummery. She is on a plane back to Maine. Ooh, that rent uh, right now. And so she couldn't join us, but that's okay. We're still going to have a great conversation. So today is another installment of our ongoing series called So Ya Wanna Bea. And um, you fill in the blank after that. And we have all kinds of different freelance, um, contractor types, consultant types of careers that we have brought people onto the show to tell us what it's like and obviously their parents. So what they did prior to getting into whatever they're doing now, um, how that is going, how it works with young kids and just help to paint a picture of what this type of job is like. Um, And I think the other great thing that it does is it helps shed a light on maybe some jobs that you didn't know existed. So like, for example, Today, we're talking to Megan about being a digital business manager, and I hadn't heard of that yet, even though I'm like really in this space. So I think it's kind of a newer thing. We'll pick her brain about that in a minute. Um, But you know, there's things like an online business manager. Do you know what that is? An OBM? Go, we have an interview with that. Um, Go look for that in our blog, and you'll be able to see the podcast episode we did about that and get a taste for what that kind of day is like. So um, these episodes are really here to help you, to help you with some pro tips along the way, things to avoid, things to look for, and really help you understand, hmm, this is something that I could do. Is this going to be a good fit for me? So today we are talking to Megan Schoenlieber, and she is a digital business manager or a DBM. And she specifically helps female coaches and course creators manage and simplify their business operations so that they can focus on the big picture of their business. Yes, please. She has a bachelor's degree in business management with an emphasis in human resources. Prior to freelancing, she worked for eight years in the corporate HR world. Outside of work, Megan loves spending time with her husband. She has a daughter and a cat and she is very active. She loves reading and she's a huge movie buff. I'm a film major, Megan, so we might have to get into that. Like I said in the beginning on today's episode, we're just going to be hearing about her background, how she transitioned out of corporate and into this freelance world, um, kind of what her day-to-day looks like and what it's like to juggle, you know, being a mom and a wife and all the other things she is outside of work with this um, new freelance career and just any pro tips she has. So welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and chat about all things being a DVM. Yeah. Okay, so I always like to start with kind of hearing what you did before this, how and when you made that transition from corporate to freelance, and kind of how that went. So talk to us, just tell us a little bit about your your professional um, story here. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say even when I was in college getting ready to graduate, um, 
I just had the feeling that a typical like corporate career, your nine to five, 40 hour work week or 40 hour plus, as we all know, um, is what it turns into, um, just wasn't going to be the right fit for me. But I also never knew what else I could do, what else was possible. I didn't have like an invention. I didn't have something to sell necessarily like a product. So I had always like had my eye on the entrepreneurial path, but I just didn't know what options I had essentially. So um, after college, I went straight into um, the corporate human resources world. So I did base, I ran the gamut of HR. Um, so anything from hiring and onboarding, like employee relations, and then also benefits type of work. So there are pros and cons with HR work. And towards the end of my career, I was learning that um, you have to have a lot of hard conversations and you deal with a lot of stuff that affects like people's livelihood. And that's just really hard. And basically when I was getting to this point, so fast forward a little bit, I was um, six months pregnant with my daughter. She's now almost two. And we found out that our company was being acquired. So my job wasn't safe. Um, not a fun thing to find out when you're six months pregnant. Um, and so that really led me to, okay, what's my next step? Do I really want another HR career? Do I want to start all over with a different corporation? Um, what's my next step? What I found was a course, and it's actually by Michaela Quinn, um, and it's basically like how to freelance, like how to get yourself started. And she does specifically target moms as well. So that really drew me in. But I am someone who really processes things, and that making the jump from a nine to five to a freelancing career seemed like a very, very big leap to me. It's a very different way to live, a very different way to work. Um, your income just a little bit different. There are so many like factors in that. So I processed for almost a full year on freelancing, thought about it, <laughs> forgot about it, came back to it. Um, what actually helped me make the leap was uh, my best friend from college was a graphic designer and she had always thought about freelancing. So her and I actually started Michaela Quinn's course together and that really helped me like stay accountable and you know, just have somebody going with it. So um, one little nugget of advice is when you are first starting out freelancing, finding that like biz bestie, I think is what they call it. Um, <laughs> that person to like hold you accountable and to check in with and just kind of give you that community and like your point person. Um, highly recommend finding them, whether it's online or someone you know as well. But anyways, back to my story. So I still remember the day, June 16, 2020. Um, I was so sick of, obviously we were in the middle of the pandemic. We still are, but I was so sick of dropping my daughter off at daycare for so long, slugging through a whole day of work. And then picking her up and maybe only seeing her a couple hours because she's got an early bedtime, you know, and that just, that's not how I wanted to live. So, um, that's when I decided to start my freelancing career and I started my business on the side of my nine to five. So I was doing both, um, with an infant at home for about four months. The one nice thing about, I was working at home at the time because of the pandemic. Um, I was able to kind of like pop in and be doing client work during my typical nine to five hours. So that did help me transition. But um, those first four months were not easy by any means. They were long weeks um, and a lot of hours, a lot of early mornings, late nights. But I am so, so glad that I did that and was able to build up my business to the point where I could leave. So that's essentially how I made my leap. And I started out as a virtual assistant. I really didn't know this online world is so different than your typical corporate world. I didn't know what Airtable was. I didn't know ClickUp. I didn't know Trello. I didn't know any of these terms that you just see thrown out loosely. And it's like, what are these things? 
So I really wanted to get in the ground, on the ground floor as a virtual assistant uh, and really learn all of those tools and learn the ins and outs of how an online business runs versus, you know, my prior experience like in the corporate HR world. And so after that, I think about, I think it was about six months after I was a VA and doing that, I decided that the thing that I really liked about helping my clients was getting on calls and doing like the strategy sessions, mm-hmm. helping them figure out how to move their business forward and really taking on more of like a leadership role within um, their company. So that's where I would found the DVM role, the digital business manager role. Um, I actually ended up taking a course. It's by Dea. It's called the Digital Business Manager Bootcamp. And the one thing I was worried about with transitioning to a DVM was that I had never managed a team myself. That's kind of a big deal. (laughs) And it's a big part of being a DVM. So really that course gave me a lot of, one of the parts of it, because you have three capstone projects that you go through, one's for project management, one's team management, and one's system management. Um, you go through and have like real world scenarios um, that you have to go through and essentially solve and then like pass to get your certification. Um, one of them was on team management and they were basically around all the crucial crucial conversations that you have to have with team members. Which are what you've been doing in your career, huh? Yes. <laughs> You're right. like, oh, I got this. <laughs> yes. I think one of them was like, okay, you need to fire this person. Tell me what you do or tell me how you'd approach it. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, it really gets you out of your comfort zone. And it really ended up giving me the confidence that I knew I needed to really become a digital business manager. So I definitely credit a lot to um, that course as far as like scaling and where I'm at now. So I want to go back in your in history just a minute before we move on. And so tell us more about those four months where you were transitioning from, you know, corporate to freelance. And Did you say, okay, we're going to give this three or four months. How did you know that it was time? Like, tell us about that tipping point. Cause I think people are, might be curious about that, the ins and outs of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say the first thing was, um, I think with any course you purchase, it's a pretty big investment. I mean, I'm a very frugal person. So anything over like a hundred dollars is a pretty big investment to me. Um, and so I really had to get my husband on board. So it was kind of like selling it to him as well. So once he was on board and kind of saw the value of freelancing and what it could do for me, basically what him and I kind of decided on was, okay, I'm going to give this a few months. I need to get a few clients and actually get the experience and make sure that I would actually enjoy doing this. Mm, We didn't want it to be something where I get in, I quit my job, I end up hating the work. And then where are we at? So I jumped into the course. I spent about a month on the course. And then I think it was right after I was done with the course, I started pitching um, and I started responding to job leads. And it was within, and I will say like when you first start pitching and I never had sales in my background, never. So that was like a whole new skill set for me to learn is like how to do, how to pitch, how to get people to open your pitches, how to like, get on a discovery call, then how to sell yourself on a discovery call. Like all of that was foreign to me. So I will say I probably sent out like 50 pitches before I even got on one discovery call. Um, but I actually found my first, I call my first two clients because, um, it was in a Facebook group and they're friends. So like I interviewed with both of them and then ended up landing both of them at the same time. So, so those were my first two clients. And then I quickly got a third one as well. So this is in the first like two months. Um, and then after that, one of those first clients kept referring me to people 
at one point she had me on a discovery call with five potential like clients and it was just like it was insane so at that point i was working about i'm trying to remember how much it was what i had told myself just for like my mental well-being and some sort of a balance um i said 10 hours a week is all i could do on top of my full-time job and i i could not work weekends i know a lot of people at the start ha- could work weekends but with everything going on, I just had to have that break. So those 10 hours were all within the week. So I hit those 10 hours with the first three clients. And then we really started having the conversation of, okay, at what point, because I was having to turn down people because I didn't have the extra time, but it wasn't quite there. So basically what we did is we just kind of did the math as far as what I needed and what we needed essentially to like survive like financially. But the other big factor that we put into it was that we were paying so much every week for my daughter to go to daycare. And at that time she was taking, I think she was still taking four naps a day. Like how amazing is that? I miss those days. I'm like four. Oh my God. Four naps. So every time she went down for a nap, I could sit and get work done. So basically when we made that leap, I had two more potential clients who wanted to work with me. Um, and that would get me almost to where my goal was income wise. Mm-hmm. But then when we factored in not having to pay thousands of dollars of daycare every month, right. it kind of evened that out, if that makes sense. So that's when we decided um, for me to make the leap. It was so nerve wracking. I'm actually really, really close still with my old boss. She's like a friend to me. So having to tell her that I was leaving, oh my gosh, I was sick about it for a week. It was just so hard for me to do that. And then it just, I don't know. It was just kind of a scary transition to be completely honest. But for me, of course, of course, I think it is for everybody, you know, and I actually ended up, she asked if I would stay on, um, a couple more weeks, just part time. So I did stay on a couple just to ease that transition for them, but then it was also extra income. So it kind of benefited, but then I had specific days where I could do my freelancing work and whatnot. I will say though, in that transition period, I was taking discovery calls at like 7 p.m. Like (laughs) during my lunch breaks, like it was really a juggling game and you really have to be good at like time blocking and making sure that you have time for everything and making time for all those crazy things in the beginning. And it's definitely not easy, but it's worth it. And it's definitely possible. It's temporary, I think, is a good thing for people to remember. Like, this isn't forever. It's just a, it's a transition. And I find that sometimes in the middle of a transition, it's really helpful to remind yourself, I'm in a transition. This is a transition. This is not going to be forever, you know, because you can kind of get lost in that, you know, be like, you know, just lost in how hard it can be. Absolutely. Good for you for coming out the other end there. And obviously, so obviously you enjoyed what you were doing (laughs) enough to make the leap. Yeah. The one thing that one of my like love languages is um, basically when people say thank you. Words of gratitude or something. Words. Yes. Yes. So, there we go. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or affirmation or something. I don't know what it was. Yes. But, words of affirmation. Um, yes. That's it. Basically someone saying thank you is a big deal for me. And in HR, I was in a thankless job. So when I was working with these clients and they were like, Megan, this is amazing. Thank you so much. It was like, you're welcome. This is amazing. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Thanks. Like, okay. And I also loved the variety with HR stuff. Just maybe you have a different month than another, but everything is so similar and linear that in the online space, it's like, especially as a virtual assistant, it's like, can you do these 30 different things? And it's like, okay, sure. I don't know how I'll learn. Let's do this. And 
even today, I still get that variety where there's a new tool to learn. There's, you know, something new. And I just love being challenged in my work and not something where I can just, you know, phone it in or whatnot. I just, I love the variety and the challenge. So. Well, thanks for walking us through your thought process there. There's definitely, you know, everybody goes about this in their own way. Um, for me, I, we like gave it three months. We said like, I landed, I had one client that I got while I was still working and it wasn't, it didn't replace my income, but it was like a good, like at least half, I think. And we're like, okay, we can survive on this, what we're making the two of us for. And like you said, we cut back on childcare, but not so much that like, I couldn't also build the business and then, um, gave it three months. We're like, if I can't like at least replace what I was making or at least get closer to it within three months, like I'll start looking for a job again, you know? And obviously that didn't happen. So, you know, people just go about it different ways. It depends on where you're at financially, where you're at mentally. Like I had to get out of the job I was in, you know, I just, I didn't want to stay there for longer. So, you know, it's, um, it's always good to hear how people do this because it's just a good story to hear, you know, and understand yeah. like it's scary, but it's okay. and It's going to be okay. And especially now, things are even more in favor of people looking for jobs. You know, it's a, it's an employee's market at the moment. So, you know, I always like to remind people who are feeling nervous, but who I can tell are probably going to do really great. Like, Hey, you can always go back and find another job and just end up right where you are now. You can always do that. You're smart. You're educated. You've got this, you know, try it. And I bet you're never going to look back. (laughs) Absolutely. So, okay, so you transitioned out and you started as a VA and then you moved into the DBM space. So I want to talk about what a DBM does, but tell us, like, kind of paint us a picture of what your day-to-day and your week-to-week looks like. So your daughter is almost two now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about what your life kind of looks like now. Um, not a great week to talk about, talk to me because I just have, it's just absolute chaos. But, um, right now, (laughs) right now I have two big retainer clients. That's another thing about being a DBM that I really like is that my packages with my clients are a little bit more all encompassing, I would say. So as a VA, I was working with five plus clients at a time as a DBM, typically two is my max. Really glad I only have two right now. Typically, um, I work about 15 hours a week, and that's 100% by design. I figured out my schedule to work at the time where I have the most energy, which is like, I'm not going to say I'm a morning person, but like mid-mornings, like 8 a.m., we'll call that mid-morning. And I was like, I love, I'm like, yeah, that is, that's about mid-morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, for parents of young children, that's mid-morning. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm not going to work before my daughter gets up. That's just not where my energy is. So anyways, so 15 hours a week is my normal Right now I have three huge projects going on between my two clients. So I'm pushing more like 30 plus hours this week. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that's one thing that I also did that to myself though. I didn't have to say yes to doing all three at once, but I did. That's one thing that I really have learned about being a DBM is that the weeks really flux as far as what's on your plate. Some weeks, if you could just be checking in with team members and you're closer to like 10 hours a week, and then you could have these monster weeks that I'm dealing with right now, they're almost done, um, where it's 30 plus hours. And that's essentially, it's all about like boundaries and how you set those and what you say yes to as far as the hours go that I have found at least. But essentially a DVM is very similar to what an OBM does. I think the big difference between the two is the training program that you go through. So 
I know you said on your um, podcast you had someone who is an OBM, so I'm sure they talked to you about like the certified OBM. I know I had mentioned before that I'm a very frugal person and I still am in my business. Um, I probably need a VA at this point, but you know, here we are. Um, and <laughs> I was looking for another option that would still give me the experience and the training that I needed. And that's where I found Daya. The price resonated better with me. And essentially I felt very connected to her after going through a webinar, but I also really loved that she had the three major capstone projects. And then you could also have an option to have other, um, like her consultants give you feedback. That feedback, again, like the words of affirmation thing is big for me. So that um, feedback really gave me that confidence. But the other things that she does just a little bit differently in the training is I feel like she trains you to be a little bit more of like a techie type of person, if that makes sense. So I really got trained on, um, especially Airtable is the big one, but a lot of other online tools. Um, she gives you a good experience working in those tools. And I've always been a very tech savvy person, but when you learn, you get into the online world, it's like active campaign and convert kit and WordPress mm-hmm. and all of these things. So that's the other stuff that I think makes the OBMs and DBMs a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say like the big buckets of things that I do as a DBM is really like team management. So the biggest part of that is like the hiring and firing. So you have to really be okay with, your client saying, Hey, we need to get rid of this person and you have to handle that. So you're fire people on behalf of your clients. Yes. I didn't realize maybe that's part of the OBM that just didn't, maybe didn't come up in the conversation, but I didn't realize it was at that level. Crazy. Yeah. So I'm telling you, like I am being completely, completely transparent on everything I do. And yeah, all the hiring, all the firing that's on me, basically what I aim to do as a DBM. And I think Everybody in the role does things a little bit differently and offers things differently. But me as a DBM, I really take the day-to-day operations off their plate. So if a team member has a question, they're coming to me. They're not coming to my client. My client's focusing on the income generating. They're creating their course. They're actually doing their coaching sessions. They're not worried about, hey, did this email go out? Did we test it? Who are we sending it to? Are we targeting it correctly? All the strategy around that is, is me. So I would really say that like, that right hand um, person. Yeah. So back to the hiring and firing though, is that, yeah. are you doing that because that's kind of what was in your background as an HR professional, or is that something that they would expect a DBM to do? I honestly think it depends on the client and what they need in their business. I will say that there have been two times that I can think of right in my, right at the top of my head where I come in and I know somebody needs to be fired like instantly. Yeah. Um, then the client handles it because they don't know who I am. I've just right. come in here. Um, but if it's... Hi, I'm Megan. You're business, fired. Okay, yeah. bye-bye now. Nice to yeah, meet bye. you. <laughs> They're going to go run to the client and be like, who is this chick? Why is she... For me, this is something I offer because I know I'm comfortable with it. Right. And it's probably the biggest pain point for clients when they know they need to let somebody go, but they already have that relationship. I have it in my background. Like you said, I'm completely comfortable doing it. Is it fun? No but I know I can do it and I can handle it. And taking that stress off of my client's plate is just really what I aim to do. Interesting. Okay. Are there any other um, little things like that? Like that's really unexpected. I, I personally can't imagine hiring someone and then making them fire my employees. Like that feels weird to me, but I get it. It does kind of sound weird. Yeah. Like, and I, if I was the employee getting fired, I'm like, really, you're sending this person to come fire me. You can't do it yourself, but you know, whatever. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I do get it. Like I, it does, it is a hard situation. And you wouldn't believe the one client I had that, um, oh my gosh, it just like weighs on the client so much more than it would weigh on me. And like, not that I'm a heartless person, but like, I don't have that deep knit bond. It's not my business. So it mm-hmm. just makes it, yeah, a little removed. But I think yeah. too that like people feel, so I've, I've dealt with the situation in this sort of a different, a similar way that you have with a client. And I think what the, what people feel like is that they as a manager have like failed, you know, the, and that like part of it, like they're maybe shameful of the fact that they are going to have to let this person go. Even if it's like really clear that it's just not a good fit there, yeah, yeah, you're right. There's, there's a lot of emotion there. It's just, I was just surprised to learn that that is part of your role. So that's interesting. Is there anything else that's like that? That's like, just a little bit kind of different or maybe like a step up from like what a VA would be expected to do? Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would say is really the like project management and specifically like launch management aspect. Mm-hmm. So my client comes to me and says, Hey, we're, we're turning this course evergreen, go for it. Yeah. And then basically <laughs> I come up with a strategy. I come up with a timeline. I, then I come up with build out the full project plan from start to finish on okay, what does that mean? What do we need to get there? Do we need email sequences? What are we putting on social? How are we marketing this? How are we getting the funnel built? Launch management side of things, um, I didn't expect going into being a DBM, but I really enjoy it. It's very chaotic, but I really enjoy that part of my role, like the arranging all the little pieces and things like that. Yeah, the thing that I like about these types of roles, whether it's a VA, a digital business manager, online business manager, is that you and really in anything you're doing as a freelancer, like you can kind of carve out your corner. So like you might have gone into it, gone and done a launch with a client and been like, heck no, I'm never doing that again. That's way too too yeah. chaotic and crazy for me. And then you don't have to offer that as a service. And exactly. what you can do is, you know, as you start to network and meet other people who are in this space, find someone like you who does love doing launches and say, Hey, I can pull yeah. this person in as like you know, a subcontractor or can help out with these certain things I can refer you. And that way you're still serving your client. You're not like, yeah, I don't do that. Sorry. Find someone else. You're like, I, that's not really my skill set, but I'm going to find someone who I can bring in to help us with that. Um, and then yeah. you can still serve them, but not be doing the things you don't want to be doing. Exactly. There's a concept I've been thinking about lately that I'm curious what you think about, which is like around being really good about listening to your, your intuition about those types of things. Um, Whether it's not doing, it's, you know, not taking on a client that, you know, is probably not a good fit or not doing things that you're not really interested in. And the way I like to think about it is like, think about if you were to take that, like, let's say you hated launches and you were to do it. Well, not only are you doing something that's draining the energy and the life out of you because you don't want to be doing it you're also taking the place of someone who does like to be doing those things. And you're also taking up time in your schedule and energy in your schedule that you could be using to be doing other things, whether that's making more money, serving other clients or going for a run or whatever it is. And so it doesn't serve anyone to do a thing that you really, really don't like doing. And the other thing, I think a lot of where that comes from, it's just a guess here. I have no scientific evidence, but is when we are in a corporate role or in a job where we're working for someone else, we don't typically get a choice. Like we're handed a project or added, something's added to our job description because of reasons outside of our control. 
And we just yeah. usually have to suck it up and do it because it's like yeah. under our job description was a bullet that said like special projects as needed or whatever. So they can just like, oh gosh, like yes. I was in there. And Other I think. Classes assigned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of, we talk about this every once in a while around Kenzo's like deprogramming from corporate and like yeah. understanding that you are in control now. You get to decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do and play around and experiment and see if you like it, see if you don't and be open to other things that might come your way and be open to like, Hey, I actually really don't like doing that. Even though I thought I would. Um, and just keep writing and rewriting your job description over and over again until, you know, you're kind of good for a little while. So anyway, a little aside there. So as far as like trusting your guts, I will say I was not very good at that when I first started out as a VA and I would basically take whoever was wanting to work with me. I found out very quickly that what I liked and what I didn't like, and specifically if I didn't jive really well personally, I didn't really want to work with them. You know, like if I knew that we couldn't just like chat about like life for five minutes on our calls, that that wasn't going to be a fit. You know what I mean? Because you work remotely. <laughs> yeah. You want someone you feel like you can connect to. So totally. um, that wasn't my only reason for things. But then when I scaled to a DBM, I said, okay, I'm really going to start trusting my gut. And I probably had at least 10 to 15 clients that wanted to work with me. And I, after the discovery call, told them no, essentially, um, which is really hard to say no to money like when you're thinking about it. But I knew for like my mental health and like, what I wanted for my business, it wasn't going to be a fit. Especially my big one was if they, one, wanted to treat me like an employee or two, made me feel at all like they were in the corporate world. Like if they showed up to the discovery call in a suit, I was probably not going to go forward with it. I do try to look presentable <laughs> on calls and stuff, but I'm not going to wear a suit. Um, so anyways, those are the big things, but yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say no especially when people are offering you a position or offering you um, money, like, but it really has helped me find that sweet spot and find those clients. And yes, it might take a little bit longer, but it's so much more worth it in the long term. Yeah. And I, I love that. And it's, a you know, trusting yourself is a muscle just like anything else. And the more that you can practice knowing that you shouldn't do a thing, and trusting yourself and then not doing that thing, the better the trust in your own self continues to grow. It really is like a muscle that you have to flex and work. And then, you know, you can feel much better about it. So when you make a commitment to yourself, like right now I'm trying to go to these like workout classes, like three or four days a week. And I'm like super committed to it. And I find, I'm finding that as I, as I commit to myself and I do the thing and I come through for myself and I trust myself, it's really interesting. I can, I can feel that and see that yeah. kind of coming out in the rest of my life, even though it's just like one little piece. So it's a good muscle that, and I'm glad that you said that in the beginning, you, you know, it's something I want to remind people of here is that Megan, how long have you been doing this now? A year and a half or something. So she's a year and a half in you learn so much in a year and a half. So I don't want you listeners to feel um, intimidated or, you know, scared, like you're going to screw up, you're going to take on a client or two or three that like really suck that you knew you shouldn't have, but you did, you're going to learn the hard way. You're going to make someone mad. You're going to have a client pissed off at you. You might have a client fire you like things are going to happen, but every single opportunity is an opportunity to learn and grow and reflect and move to the next yeah. thing. And now you're that much smarter and that much smarter and that much smarter. And it just can take off from there. So just trust the process. 
the other thing that I remember coming in and hearing success stories of people who had been doing, been in business for two years, three years or whatnot, but I also just want like whoever's listening to know that like, I still don't know what I'm doing half the time. I still am just like imposter syndrome is so real sometimes. Whenever I have a new offer or anything like that, it's like, wait, what did I get myself into? I mean, you still, it's just being an entrepreneur and owning your own business. It's just a part of that. So don't think that people who have success stories don't also just wonder like, what are they doing? Oh, we, I mean, totally. I feel like we all do. And, but we don't talk about it a lot, you know? It's because it's like a touchy subject. It's, and you also like, for me, speaking personally, like sometimes I don't want to expose that. Like, oh, I don't know, you know, how that's going to work or whatever. But yeah, it's a really, it's a fun journey. If you're looking for a community of like-minded parents who know that there is a better way to integrate career and family, I invite you to join our free Slack workspace. Now listen, I know that none of us have time to keep up with yet another platform, or YAP as some people may say, and the good news is that our Slack just isn't like that. It's organized into very specific topics and it should serve as a resource for you to get real-time feedback and answers to your specific questions. We also have a jobs channel where you can keep an eye out for great freelancing and consulting gigs that we come across or that we're specifically hiring for here at Kenza. To join us, head to kenzacollective.com slack. It's free and it's easy. I hope to see you in there. So let's, let's talk a little bit. I want to hear a little bit more about what a DBM actually does. So we know that you help with launches, like product launches and things like that. But what are some of the other like little projects that you are doing for people? Yeah. So you asked me how the day in the life was, and I went on a tangent. (laughs) So I didn't actually answer that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The first thing that I like don't want to skirt around by any means is that I did stay home full-time with my daughter while being in my business fully. Um, I did that for about four months. Um, It was possible when I was a VA. It was not possible as a DBM. I have so much more meetings and check-ins, and I just couldn't have the flexibility. Um, People do it. For me, it wasn't possible. So my daughter does go elsewhere for care um, three mornings a week, and that time is just fully dedicated for me um, to sit down, be doing meetings, whatever work is on my plate, Um, So I just want to be completely transparent with that. Some people do, you know, have their kids full time. I do not because she is almost two. She is a terror. If my (laughs) eyes are not on her, she will be eating the cat food or she will be climbing up like the side of the stairs. It's just toddler life. It's great. And so I just wanted her somewhere where she was getting some more of like education and learning all that stuff. So that I just want to be completely transparent with that. And then when she does get home, we get to have lunch together every day. And um, then she goes down for a wonderful nap. And so I get some more work time in. So that's like my typical schedule. But as far as what I do, um, the first thing that kind of like runs my life is Slack. Um, Slack is great. But I will say um, one of my teams, I manage 10 people. The other team, I manage two. Um, So the amount of Slack messages I get on a daily basis are a lot. Um, Asking questions, clarifying things just all sorts of stuff in Slack messages. It's how we all collaborate. So I will say that's a big aspect of like the team management side of things is just checking in on everybody, making sure they have what they need, um, making sure they know what they need to be doing, and then making sure they don't have any questions. And if they do, obviously answering anything. I do also, with that team of 10, we moved our um, one-on-ones to every other month. Usually I meet with everybody once a month. Um, but we do that every other month and I'm checking in when, on Slack every week mm-hmm. with them. 
Um, and then we do like a full team meeting every month just to kind of see everybody face to face and then check in on everything. And I do lead those as well. So um, the other part that we talked about, like a launch, the launch management with that right now, I'm working with Kajabi designer. She's designing this new evergreen course. So I'm doing check-ins and making sure basically like lighting a fire, essentially keeping her on track and just managing all the moving pieces around that big project. So the project management piece, is a big part of being a DBM. It's laying out the plan and then making sure it gets executed and then making sure like deadlines are being met. And if they aren't, how to shift and move things around so that it does get done. The other really big piece um, that I do personally as a DBM is like tech setup. So um, one of my clients, they had all of their resources scattered all over Google Drive, like hundreds and hundreds of files. No one could find anything. The only person that could find anything was my yeah. client. Um, <laughs> so all these people are coming to her. So I set up like a database in Airtable with links to where you find everything as like a central resource. And then we're also going through like a big website redesign. So figuring out who's assigned to what to fix this, to write this blog post and whatnot. And then I would also say there's just a lot of like approvals and like overseeing type mm -hmm. of stuff. So um, both of my clients have email lists and we have somebody who writes the emails. We have someone who gets it scheduled and then the test goes out to me um, to approve copy and to like make sure all the links work and things like that. So whenever we need someone new on the team, going out, posting the job, doing the actual interviews, figuring out exactly what we need in the job description, going through the applications and then really bringing those final candidates to um, my clients. And then once that person is on the team, like, we've built out or we i have built out an onboarding system for them to like join the team and like here's where to start here's how to who's on the team who to go to for things here's all your resources so um i would say the team management is probably the biggest like time consuming piece of it and then project management but then there's also like those tech setups and really um setting up the right system so that things aren't going out with mistakes and whatnot but the other part of my job that you said, what are some unique things that just came yeah. to mind was that I do um, weekly strategy calls is what I call them um, with both of my clients. And I will say, especially when I start with a new client, their half strategy feels like therapy. Yeah. Um, I do feel like a therapist sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So that's another piece of it is just like talking with them because they haven't had somebody who they can just be, you know, completely honest about everything that's going on and talking through problems, talking through like issues they think that'll come up. But then also that therapy side, like even these huge like CEOs of these huge online businesses so successful have imposter syndrome. And they're like, well, what if this doesn't work? So it's like kind of being that person to say, you know, bring the positivity and like reassure them also was something I did not expect going in <laughs> as a DBM. So and especially like I've had recently, I hired um, someone who's now our social media manager, but she, no, no, marketing manager. I was going to say, she does way more in social media, uh, marketing manager. And I feel that like you finally have someone where you're like, oh my God, you can do the thing and I can trust you to do the thing. You're going to do the thing so good. And I don't even have to worry about the thing anymore. And it's like kind of an emotional yeah. like release. You know, you have the like, you have the transition period yeah. where you're like, can I trust them to do the thing? And then you can see like, hell yeah, I can trust them to do the thing. Take these, all these things, please. Um, so it's a really valuable position. And what I love, so I, I start off as a project, freelance project manager and it's similar, although 
Yeah, it's pretty similar to what everything you've described, but I was doing it more, not for like online businesses, for like actual, like a um, couple brick and mortar. Um, like one was like a subscription box company. Um, so different types of things like that. But one of the things that's cool, and I'm curious if you've done this before, with someone, some people like us who are like, what what some might call like an integrator so there's like the visionary and the integrator of a company yeah and the visionaries obviously they're thinking of ideas and they're like kind of the face and usually the owner and then there's someone like you or like me who like takes all of their like lofty visions and like okay yeah let's sort them through then let's actually integrate them and actually make them happen and what's cool about this type of role and why this is such a great way to get your foot in the door is that you can look around once you get in you can kind of look around at the company and see other things that need to be done and you can pitch them to your current client and say hey like hey i noticed all your resources are scattered about all over google drive here's an idea of a project i can do here's how i would do it are you interested in seeing you know proposal for that and most of the time they'll be like hell yeah please do so you send them, yeah. you pitch them a proposal, boom, now you get another project for the client. You already know, you already like, every, there's all the trust is established. And I was so surprised yeah. when I went out on my own at first, because I thought like, oh man, I'm going to have to be like, you know, I'm going to have to keep my pipeline full of clients, you know, like once this project ends, I'm going to go to the next one and the next client is a, but like, that's not at all how it happened. I just had like three clients for like years. For like the first year and a half, I had the same three clients to the point where I was like, I'm like, can I move on now? Like, I'm good. I don't work with these two, these people anymore. But when you're, when you can look around and keep pitching them on stuff or keep making yourself incredibly valuable to the success of their company, I always tell people this. I'm like, you don't need 10 clients. Sometimes you, sometimes you need one or two. I mean, you need to have at least a couple, you know, legally to be like, okay, I actually am a contractor and I'm not, you know, an employee of theirs, but you know, like it's, I like to remind people of that. Sometimes you don't, you're not going to need a bunch. (laughs) Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I don't see myself leaving these clients unless something like catastrophic happens for like years, just based on everything that like we're working on now, we still have so much more we could do in the business. And like you said, going in and giving them that fresh perspective is so helpful to them. But then the other thing is, as you take things off of their plate as an integrator, they don't want to go back to doing those. Like they fill up that time with other stuff. And they're like, well, how did I ever do that? You know? Exactly. So it's like that builds up that like job security, especially as an integrator. Cause yeah, you're taking so much off their plate that it's like, wait a second. I don't want to go back. Right. And I don't want to find someone else where I have to like retrain and retrust and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And the other, I think the other fun thing with this type of work is that it does really lend itself really well to retainer work, which is just, I mean, retainer is like, that's where it's at people. Like, don't be charging out, you know, first of all, don't charge hourly. Like we all can start there, but you got to get out of that because you don't want to be selling your time. Like you were in the corporate world. Once you're out of that, you might move into project-based pricing where you start to just bid projects. And then you will start to see opportunities with clients where you're like, Hey, I think we have enough for a retainer here. And here's the scope of work that I would do each month for you and the deliverables and blah, blah, blah. And then you make sure to revisit that every quarter or something to make sure it's all still working. But when you, I mean, when you can get a couple of retainer clients, it's like you're, you know, it's very comfortable because it's, you're just getting these steady paychecks essentially. So that's, that's where it's at. And and it's really nice to get to that point too. So I'm glad that I'm glad. So you have both of your clients are on retainer at this point, right? 
They are. Yep. I had one project-based um, client that I was working with more like implementation work because I kind of liked the balance because management and all that stuff, I love it. But sometimes it's nice to like get your hands dirty too. <laughs> um, so I was working with her and then this month blew up and we actually didn't need to work together. So it actually like just kind of worked out really well. But for the most part, I, re I really just, as an integrator, as a digital business manager, it takes time to build up that relationship and to get comfortable. And it's not as easy to do on a project base. So yeah, I love retainers. So let's start to wrap up here. So let's say that there's someone who's been listening to this episode and they're like, hmm, this could be really cool. Uh, maybe think about you a year and a half ago or so, or two years ago. Is there anything you want to say to that person? Good, bad, warnings, excitements, whatever it is, let's hear it. So I would say make sure that all the things that I listed, just that a digital manager, business manager does, fits with who you are and what you like to do. So people who like are really detail-oriented, like to solve problems, people who can step up and lead, but then also like not afraid to push back and ask those hard questions because the biggest transition from being a VA for me to being a digital business manager was um, as a VA, they're just telling you what to do and then you have your little list and you get it done and it's perfect and you tie a little bow and you're good to go. As a DBM, they're saying, I wanna do this, make this happen. You have to be able to be comfortable taking that, running with it and making it happen essentially. That's a big shift and it can be uncomfortable, especially at first. But if you like challenges and if you like problem solving, you'll get the hang of it. So that's one thing I always just like word of caution is they kind of just expect you to take their ideas and just yeah. go for it. And you, you know, create what you think is best, if that makes sense. But and then people who are just good at like delegation and can let go of some of that control and don't feel like they absolutely need to do every every task to get it done correctly, if that makes sense. So let's say you delegate something and then, you know, it doesn't go well, then you have to coach them and figure out how to make it go better instead of just jumping in and doing it for them. So the whole side of management and things like that, it's just kind of a hard concept to grasp at first. But if you feel like you'd be comfortable at least trying it out, then that's a huge part of being a DBM. I would also say people who get overwhelmed very quickly or they just feel like they're scattered most of the time. This might not be a good thing because you can be scattered in your personal life, but if you're scattered in your professional life, then nobody's keeping it all organized, you know? So, and then essentially if you are just like someone who wants your client to tell you what to do, stick with being a VA. They can also scale and make some pretty good money too. So I would also say um, the amount of like Slack messages I get on a daily basis is a lot. So I really had to learn how to set boundaries around that and make it clear to the teams that I manage, okay, here's when you can reach me. Here are the days of the week. Here are the times. If you get something to me within this time, you get a pretty quick response. If you don't, you have to wait till the next morning and being comfortable with not always saying yes <laughs> and answering right away. Um, like for example, like tomorrow, we have all these crazy projects going on, but tomorrow's my birthday. So I'm completely taking the day off. I'm not getting, I'm literally going to delete Slack off yeah. of my phone because I need a day to just not. But with that, I mean, that's just kind of how it, it just comes with the role. So I did not expect to get that many Slack messages because as a VA, you just don't. So, yeah. So making sure, you know, it's easy again, going back to that, like reprogramming, it's easy to fall back into the habits and expectations of working for someone else. But the reality is you don't work for someone else. They're your client. And I think 
there's a big difference. Yeah. I think maybe this is a good way to explain the difference between a VA and a DBM and, and what you were talking about is whether you're a vendor or you're an expert. And so if you're in a vendor role, that means you really are just getting a to-do list and you're executing the list. And there's a lot of value in that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if you're someone who wants to have an opinion about things or wants to say like, I know that you really, you asked for this thing. I think there might be a better way to do it. Or I'm seeing this other trend. Maybe we should try this or, Hey, don't, don't worry about explaining to me how to do this. I'll figure it out. Just let me take it, you know? Um, and there's a different dynamic in those relationships as a vendor. It is kind of like a boss to an employee type of relationship. Again, totally fine. Not a good fit for me and probably not a good fit for you. You probably learned. And you get paid more when you're not viewed as a vendor. When you're viewed as an expert, as a peer coming in to work alongside someone, have, I bet your strategy calls are a huge way where you've really established yourself as an expert in this field, which again, can feel uncomfortable to say, but it's where it's what you are. You know, that then changes the dynamic in the relationship. It allows you to be able to charge more. It allows you to have more like autonomy, more trust. And it's just different. So just think about that listeners and listener land, you know, what dynamic do you want to have there? What do you want to create? And and make sure you just be cognizant of that. Um, do you want to be a vendor? Or do you want to show up as, you know, more of an expert in your field? And it might evolve over time too. Right. And I mean, I've seen pros and cons, especially just with like the VA role and the DBM role, but the things that were most important to me was I only wanted to work a certain amount of hours every week but I also had a certain income level that I wanted. And with freelancing, we were able to buy a brand new house um, with so much more room. And it's like, it's because I scaled and because I was able to open myself up. So there's so many pros. I just like to be completely transparent on some of the cons because I did not know about them. Um, Cause like you said, just in the freelancing space, you don't hear a lot of the negatives. You don't hear a lot of the stuff that you have to work through, so. Cool. I feel like I could just keep going with you forever, but we're, I've been trying to keep our episodes like shorter. It's just sometimes it's so hard because I feel like it's such a great conversation. So we will wrap it up there. But before we do, Megan, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, follow you, find you, all those types of things. So I would say um, I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me at Megan.Schoenlieber. I post lots of great tips. I've recently gotten to Reels. I, I still think I'm, Yeah. I know. I, I'm we'll in the same. That. I've been trying to Rebecca, my, uh, my marketing manager, she, she just sends me scripts and like sends me the template. She's like, here, go do this. I'm like, okay. I ordered a ring light the other day for the first time. I'm like, this is, this is where I'm at now. Yeah, this is I need where to do I that am. Too. Ring light in a tripod. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I'm also in the Kenza collective Slack community. So feel free to send me a message on there or on Instagram. Um, you can find me either place. Awesome. Thank you for your time, Megan. I know we're all ridiculously busy right now with the holidays and everybody trying to get everything in before the end of the year. So it really means a lot to us that you would spend some time talking about your story and sharing this with others in the hopes that it inspires someone out there to quit their job and say bye-bye. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Kenza Collective to stay in touch. And if you have a moment, please drop a review for this podcast so that we can reach more parents and help them create a life and a living that actually works for their families. Have a great day.